Good morning, and welcome to episode 392 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, presented by the BaseballReference.com Play Index. I am Ben Lindbergh, joined as always by Sam Miller. Today we are resuming our trip from the bottom to the top of the Pakoda projected standings with the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, later in the show, Nick Wheatley-Schaller will be talking to Shai Davidi, a baseball columnist from Sportsnet, uh, who also wrote for the Baseball Prospectus Annual. And we are now talking to the other author of the Blue Jays chapter in the annual, Adam Sabzi. Hello, Adam, and welcome back. Thanks. Um, Good to be back. So the the Blue Jays have had a, an offseason sort of unlike other Blue Jays offseasons we've seen. We kind of got used to the idea of Alex Anthopoulos as a very active GM, always making trades or signings or claims, and we haven't seen much of anything out of him this winter. And, and it's sort of strange if you look at the contrast in comments that he was making in, say, September uh, versus what he's saying today. Uh, in September, he was saying, you know, the rotation is a glaring need and it's an obvious hole and we need to do something to fix it. Uh, and lately he's saying, no, we're, we're okay with the guys that we have. And, uh, Scott Boris recently came out and criticized the, the team's ownership for not letting the baseball people spend. And of course, Anthopoulos immediately responded and said, ownership has been outstanding and given us everything we wanted. Uh, so were you surprised to see them not add this winter? Do you think that they should have? Is it, is it realistic to expect them to just sort of bounce back with the people they already had? I thought they needed to do something. I, I was the whole question of surprised that they did that any team does or doesn't do anything is is an interesting one because I always feel like, especially given that you know Boris is calling out ownership and Anthopoulos is saying no ownership is great. It really does seem like there's things going on between inside there that we don't know about, and everybody's just trying to toe the party line, which is mm-hmm. of course exactly what they should do. Right, but. Is it that ownership said, actually, on second thought, Alex, you don't have any more money to spend? Or or is it that they said, well, you do have money to spend, but we don't want you surrendering a comp pick to sign uh, Ubaldo Jimenez or Santana? There's just all these things in there that that we probably are never going to know. I I don't, knowing knowing that we don't know those things, I was, I, I, I definitely felt like, they were really doing themselves a disservice by essentially standing pat and hoping that somebody like Kyle Drabeck or Drew Hutchison, their two Tommy John survivors, or maybe Marcus Stroman, who's never pitched above double A, would step into the rotation and shore it up. But I'm not optimistic about it. It's, yeah, I, it's, it's even more curious in, in that I, I think their first two picks are protected next year because right. they're, they're early picks, so the, the highest selection they would surrender if they had signed a qualifying offer free agent would be their the 49th overall pick, which by the time you get that far down into the draft, those picks are worth something, but maybe not so much that you don't make a move because of them. Yeah, I thought it was really curious, given that they didn't really stand to lose that much. I mean, sure, you'd like to have the 49th pick in the draft, but wouldn't you rather have an established starting pitcher who could throw fastballs more than 91 miles an hour? I mean, <laughs> part, part of the problem with the Blue Jays isn't only that they need starters. They need somebody who can throw some gas, I think. Uh, 
you know, their, their top two starters are Dickey and Burley who, you know, are mid eighties guys. So the, the whole thing was strange to me. And I, 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 which is why I, like I said, I wonder if there were memos going around internally that we just don't know about that said, whatever you were planning on maybe doing, Alex, you can't do it. Uh, because it's a, it's a very curious standing pat in a division where, you know, it's not only the AL East as per usual, but everybody in that division did, did more things this year to get better. And we just saw it with the Orioles who, who said, Hey, if we sign, if we surrender a comp pick, we can go out and get, and get one pitcher and then go get Nelson Cruz basically for free. Mm-hmm. You know, they're taking risks that the Jays weren't willing to take. But, um, uh, why do you guys think they would have room to do that? I mean, they just, they just went all in last year. Like they just did everything last year. It seems totally reasonable to think that they're stretched, that they might be even beyond what they could do. I mean, isn't this just sort of the realistic assessment of a team that, um, you know, built, uh, for one year and doesn't really have the flexibility anymore? Sure. I mean, that, and again, I think that's part of what might be going on that we don't know about. We just assume that every team can just go out there and make moves. And it very well may be that ownership said, you know, we gave you all that money last year and it blew up in our faces and we don't have any more to spend. So we're just going to have to deal with this and figure it out internally. I mean, it's it, it's fun for us all to sit around and say, yeah, sure, let's just go out and, and since that experiment didn't work last year and Josh Johnson blew up in our faces and all that stuff. Let's just go out and get another Josh Johnson. Well, those guys are expensive. You you might very well be right. It seems like they have all this money to spend. I thought one thing that Davidi said was interesting in his team essay, which is that he quoted an agent to the effect that some players have an emotional bias against playing in Toronto. And one thing we don't know about is whether they did make overtures to players who said, I just don't want to play there. Uh, you know, there's... There's other things beyond just the money involved, which we don't know about. But I thought I, that that really struck me. That may just be that Toronto's not a place where most guys want to go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's complicated. So, um, so let's presume that they are somewhat hamstrung from what they did last off season, uh, which didn't mm-hmm. really work out. Um, you know, at the time that they made all these moves, the Royals were also making some moves, and and it was you know kind of trendy to like what the Blue Jays were doing because they were timing this with their competitive window and it was sort of trendy to not like what the Royals were doing because they did not seem to be uh, in their competitive window yet. And so looking now at how it played out, though, and ignore the Royals, that's not really part of the question, but looking at how it played out with the Blue Jays, is this kind of a condemnation of, um, of the idea of building up for, like, a competitive window. I mean, if you have to sacrifice so much of your future um, for something that's still really unpredictable and difficult to time just right, um, like, I guess the question is, was it worth it for them to give so much of their future away, take on so much salary? um, And, uh, you know, should they have really just, uh, you know, I guess was it a mistake to give up the chance at being good for a long period of time to try to really strike on this one on this one number? Mm-hmm. I I wasn't actually wild for the moves that they were making last off season just just for the moves themselves, and so 
I, I was already, before the season started, thinking this looks like it might be a disaster waiting to happen. Some of those guys had injury histories, and then sure enough, the team had, had I think, something like the fourth most DL days in baseball last year. You know, it's, it's easy to look back and say, well, this team might very well have challenged for the division if all these guys hadn't gotten hurt for so many days during the season. But uh, I didn't like the moves themselves, and, and I... I, I kind of do think that the argument against playing for a short competitive window is a, is a faulty one because of what happens if all these guys get hurt and the whole thing implodes and you've given away Jake Marasinic and, and Cindergaard and all these other guys. Now what do you do? You, you're, you're forced to hope that Marcus Stroman is the second coming and you have to go out and get Deanna Navarro to take over for J.P. Arancibia instead of having some catchers. <laughs> so mm. I, 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 I think, especially in today's climate, where it, it is possible to maintain competitive quality year in and year out if you're smart about it, by, by blending the farm with acquisitions, I, I just don't, I think this all or nothing game doesn't work because ultimately they did all last year and they did basically nothing this year, which cancels out to somewhere in the middle. And the Blue Jays have been a somewhere in the middle franchise for so long now that that they, it, they just wind up seeming in retrospect sort of more of the same because it almost cancels itself out. So uh, how much did this, I know they gave away, I, I think I remember somebody putting together the list of, of minor leaguers that they had traded away, and it would have been like a, a median top 10 list uh, just in those prospects. So how barren are they now? Are they, Have they recovered? Is there some hope there? Or um, is, is this like a, the sort of farm system that could get could get ugly? There's arms at every level. Uh, Stroman... Sanchez, who you know, uh, uh, is not made good on his promise because he doesn't throw strikes, but uh, they're at least interesting guys. You know, Hutchison and Drebeck, although they're of course more advanced in where they were, are essentially at this point kind of coming out of AAA. You know, they're not proven commodities yet. There's arms down lower in the system too. Um, I don't see a whole lot of bats waiting to help. And that's going to be a problem. Um, it, to me, as I was writing comments this year, it, I was actually surprised as I dug deeper into the system to discover that it wasn't as bad as I was expecting it to be, given what they gave away. Um, but it's, it's certainly not rich anymore. You know, so that, there's, there's definitely work to do there. I think that there's some short-term help from from guys like Stroman, uh, Hutchison, and Drebeck, if they can contribute. There's also um, uh, Sean Nolan and Deck McGuire, who sort of struggled to get out of double-A, but his peripherals were much better last year. Maybe by the end of the year, with a good showing in triple-A, he can, he can help them. So the, at the upper levels, it seems to me like there is some stuff there. And I'm still waiting to see what's going to happen with Anthony Goes who's been kind of hanging around, almost getting a shot at this for a while. But but so, there's seems to me like in the sort of like high A, double A zone, they're, they're soft. Yeah. So you, um, you cover the um, Tampa Bay Rays triple A team. 
Um, you know them yeah. in- intimately, and because of that, you are exposed to um, the Blue Jays uh, AAA affiliate in Buffalo, correct? Yep. And so bit. I don't know. The answer to this might just be that that it's impossible that that this sort of stuff doesn't uh, isn't really observable. Um, but I'm just curious from having covered that league and having covered um, you know one team really intimately. Um, are there differences in the way each organization um, kind of handles their their minor league teams and their their player development that can be seen? Is there anything different about um, you know the Rays and the Blue Jays, or like from the stands and, and even from where you are talking to, to people, is it pretty much the same? No, it's not the same. I I think well, one thing the Rays have done with their AAA team that most other teams have not done that sets them apart not just from the Jays but from lots of other teams is that the Rays have had the same AAA manager since 2007, uh, and they've they've had the same AAA hitting coach for the last five years. And they've only had two pitching coaches since 2008. So there is a lot of continuity in AAA that they obviously value. Now, they also happen to find guys that they liked. But, you know, Buffalo is having, I mean, the the Rays, or rather the Jays just moved their AAA team from the PCL to the International League last year. So I'm not really sure what was happening in Las Vegas before that. But they had Marty Brown as their AAA manager last year. and he's gone, and he's been replaced by Gary Allenson, who basically managed himself out of the International League a couple of years ago when he was managing Norfolk, Baltimore's top affiliate. So it's it, it, it feels much less stable to me, which is compounded by the fact that they just changed cities. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, 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 the Rays do something that I don't think people quite realize in AAA because everyone thinks of the Rays as being a team that, you know, grows all of its talent on the farm. They, they, they do promote from the farm a lot, but a lot of those guys were not drafted by the organization and they just made a ton of deals in the off season to restock the farm system with guys from other organizations. Uh, they've, they seem more aggressive about that than, than, than say the Jays have. Uh, you know, the, the Jays sent to AAA some more free agent guys last year. They, they did it again this year. The Rays seemed more interested in actually restocking AAA from other organizations, which I, I thought was pretty interesting. And I don't, I don't know if that's because the Rays finally realized, well, our, our, our days of always drafting and the, you know, getting the top pick in the draft are gone since we're now actually a good team and we have to come up with other ways to do this. Or if it was just a matter of, of finding trade partners that just happen to match up. But I, 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 I think that it's actually really pretty interesting that a lot of these so-called homegrown talents that the Rays have are not actually homegrown talents. Chris Archer comes to mind, you know, who everybody is excited about and just justly, but he's actually with his third organization. Uh, so the, the Jays seem to be more comfortable just basically having their guys come up through the system and then, and then throwing some, some, six-year minor league free agents into AAA as well, who they don't really tend to use. You know, they've got my beloved Dan Johnson headed to Buffalo this year. <laughs> but if <laughs> if Dan Johnson winds up playing a lot of games for the Blue Jays, something has gone pretty, bit, you know, terribly wrong. <laughs> I hate to say it, but it's true. Um, so Colby Rasmus last year um, had the year that I think a lot of people were waiting for for like the last seven years, right? I mean, mm-hmm. 
Uh, he'd been kind of a tease for a really long time. This was his first really great sustained season. And uh, Pakoda is completely not buying it. It um, has him essentially not changing at all. It yeah. thinks he's, he's going to be a one-win player this year. Uh, and, you know, Rasmus' success was sort of odd because uh, it coincided with, like, this really sort of shocking turn towards swing and miss um, where he was, um, you know, like, I think, like, at Chris Carter levels of, of contact. Um, so what is the outlook on him going forward? I mean, is he finally the star that he was supposed to be? Or was this just like the the one season where it kind of all came together, but he's still a liability in a lot of ways? I think that's a really good question. I to me, he looked like uh, okay, so he's swinging and missing more. But to me, you know, he he had a really good season. Why can't at his age? Why can't we think that he's turned a corner? I I guess I have a question about it too, which is I mean, who knows? I don't know. Maybe you guys do or don't know the answer. But why doesn't Pakoda like him? Because they just see the the old Col- Colby Rasmus yeah, coming back and probably just boils down to that. I don't know. I'd, I'd have to look at his, his comparables. Maybe he doesn't yeah. have good comparables, but, uh, but usually it, it does boil down to just sort of taking the long view. Yeah. I mean, that's what I figured too. I, I will say this with Gardner off the free agent table as of today, you know, he's, he's the guy slated to be the big center field free agent after this season. So, if the if the psychological part of this has any effect on his play, I mean he's he's playing for a potentially huge payday as kind of the the king of the free agent center fielders. Uh, I I actually kind of like where he's at. I can understand why Pakota isn't given the the you know the history and also this new sort of you know swing and miss tendency that he has. Yeah. Um, and then um, Sergio Santos um, is the other guy on the team who I'm uh, really interested in because he missed most of the year, uh, came back in, in August, and um, in two months, 21 innings, uh, you know, he struck out 22 batters and, and had one unintentional walk. Uh, right. opponents, opponents' batting line against him was 118, 151, 176, and as crazy as it sounds, that's uh, inflated quite a bit by two unintentional walks. He allowed so little that those two unintentional walks uh, actually have like kind of a disproportionate effect on that otherwise insane line. Um, and so uh, is this um, like the birth of like a new super ace uh, reliever is, is one question. And, and I, I hope it is because I like those things. Um, <laughs> and, and the other question is, uh, were you surprised at all that um, the Blue Jays, if, they do have two closer quality guys didn't cash in the uh, extremely reasonably priced Casey Jansen um, on the trade market this year. Cause it does seem like he might have um, had some trade value. I was surprised, especially given how deep the bullpen is generally. It's not just that they had, they had Jansen and Santos who could both essentially close games for them, but the, there's arms, there's plenty of arms coming out of that pen for them. And one of those dudes could certainly have been expendable. And I thought I thought Jansen was a great sell-high candidate. Um, so I was surprised. It was oddly in line with the Jays' unwillingness to s- apparently do much of anything over the winter. But I was actually... I, I was almost sure that they would deal one of those guys. I thought it would probably be Jansen. Uh, 
So uh, maybe maybe they're not sold on Santos's health. I don't know. The slider's pretty nasty. I think he threw it more than ever last year, and it's 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 just terrible <laughs> to try to hit. So I mean, I, I'm I'm with you. I hope he turns into the next, you know, absolute monster, and and maybe he'll just make Jansen expendable. But at, at, you know, if that was going to be the case, why not move him now or move him before the season? I guess. So Pakoda sees this team bouncing back somewhat uh, to basically 500 or so, which is an improvement, but maybe not quite as big an improvement as Blue Jays fans are are hoping for. Uh, what would you predict as far as win total and and finish in the AL East? Uh, I don't. I don't see with this starting rotation how that's how that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I I tried to be a nice guy and be optimistic about all this stuff, but it's it just it, it's really hard for me to imagine that when your third starter is Brandon Morrow, who's just never healthy, uh, and then it goes down from there, that this is a team that can really be a 500 club when the aces of the staff are Dickey and. And Burley. I mean, the the bullpen can probably bail them out of some stuff, but I, I really thought this was a team that badly needed to do something about it starting pitching. And then, you know, for reasons we talked about before, most of which we don't really even know, just kind of didn't do it. So I'm 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 not optimistic, and I would not be surprised if they finished in last place. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, not what anyone was hoping to hear, but thank yeah, you. Yeah. Sorry, your Toronto. I, I I love you, and I, you know. You have Joe Pernice. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and my favorite band, Sloan, is a, is a Toronto That's band. That's right. Um, <laughs> so it's a power pop mecca. I don't it know is. if it's going to be an ALCS <laughs> host. Uh-huh. <laughs> and you have Dirk Hayhurst. Yes, right, whose book you will be reviewing soon for That's baseball right. perspectives. I'll have that uh, so you can follow uh, Adam at Sobzy. S-O-B-S-E-Y, where you can find his other work at BP and the Paris Review and BullCitySummer.org and IndieWeek.com. Thanks for for coming on again, Adam. Um, And uh, we remind you to please support our sponsor. Go to BaseballReference.com, subscribe to the Play Index, use the coupon code BP to get a discount. And uh, next, Nick will talk to Shai Davidi. Welcome to Drop Third Strike. I'm Nick Wheatley-Schaller, and I'll be interviewing beat writers, columnists, and broadcasters from around the country, getting their perspective on the teams they cover. I'm speaking with Shai Davidi of Sportsnet. How's it going? All right. How's, how are things? Things are going well. So we recorded the Orioles uh, season preview on February 12th, and at that point there wasn't much to talk about in terms of interesting transitions, uh, transactions. Uh, since then, they've signed Ubaldo Jimenez to a four-year contract, and then today they signed Nelson Cruz to a one-year contract. This offseason, the Blue Jays' biggest signing has been Deonor Navarro, who will start at catcher after the Jays' non-tendered J.P. Arancibia. Like the, Astro- like the Orioles, they've been rumored to be making a move with the most talk surrounding Irvin Santana, but it looks like that deal might not happen. Should we expect a flurry of news after this episode airs, or is there a good chance that the Blues- Blue Jays' uh, offseason is actually complete? No, I think the Blue Jays' offseason is, for the most part, complete. I mean, mm-hmm. they've looked at Irvin Santana, and unless the, the bottom really falls out of his market and they can get him for really on their terms, uh, I don't 
see that happening. Now, the Blue Jays are still going to explore some trades. You know, they're probably going to need a 25th man. They'd like to get a, a, a right-handed hitter who mashes lefties that they can pair with Adam Lind, mm-hmm. split time, DH for space. But I think significant transactions uh, are, are probably not going to happen uh, until midseason, if, if, if at all. In your essay for the Baseball Prospectus Annual, you mentioned the lack of any clear sense of what the Blue Jays are all about as an organization, and you also wrote that there is, quote, very much a put-up-or-shut-up feeling in the air. Has this offseason helped clarify the Jays' strategy at all, or and how can the current roster handle the fan base's impatient expectations? Well, I don't know that the, this offseason has, has clarified anything. I think they Alex Santhopoulos took over being a guy who was preaching player development and, mm-hmm. and building from within and and really developing a base for which to to build off of and then they made the big deal after the 2012 season and they got all those guys from the Marlins and a lot of the crown jewels were gone at that point and they quickly moved from a team that was going to build from within to a team that was all in right away. So this offseason, they, they've had some needs, but they've also had some internal options, and they've leaned towards going with what they've had internally, and that could mean some of their key young kids, including Marcus Stroman, yeah. Aaron Sanchez, perhaps if he makes enough progress. Uh, some guys like A.J. Jimenez, a, a young catcher, may be close depending on the health of his arm. Mm-hmm. So... They're they're still in that little bit of a gray zone. Are they going to be fully a team that's going to, you know, use the guys they have from inside and build from there, or are they going to turn them into trade chips and push and and you know expected them to to use some of those guys in trades this off season, but nothing materialized. Uh, as for whether or not the the current group they have can satisfy fan expectations, I mean that's really the big question. And a lot of that's going to hinge on what the starting rotation does. You know, yeah. we all know the starting rotation was the second worst in baseball last year. And in the American League East, you just can't win with a starting rotation anywhere near that bad. So what they get out of the rotation is really going to be pivotal. And they're going to need a big year out of Brandon Morrow. They're going to need Jay Happ to, to be better. They're going to need R.A. Dickey to not necessarily be the same Cy Young guy, but to pick things up, and they're going to need Mark Burley to keep on being Mark Burley. And then they're going to need somebody to emerge, and whether that's you know Marcus Stroman or, yeah. or, or, or Drew Hutchison or Kyle Drabeck or any one of those guys, uh, that remains to be seen. But if nobody emerges, then it could be a little bit uh, of some difficult flooding for them this year. Their offense showed some good signs last year. At least they posted an above-average strikeout and walk rate. That led to the sixth-best walk-to-strikeout walk ratio in baseball. And then their power put them fourth in baseball in both home runs and isolated slugging. Their big problems were hitting with guys on base and getting hits on balls in play. Uh, they were 27th in baseball in BABIP, thanks in part to hitting the third-most pop-ups and having the fifth-worst line drive rate. And while their walk-to-strikeout ratio was third-best in baseball with the bases empty, it was 15th-best with men on base. So which of those areas are they more likely to improve in in 2014? Well, I mean, that's a really interesting question. And some of that is going to depend on how much influence new hitting coach Kevin Seitzer ends up having. Mm -hmm. Some of that is going to depend on on how much of a difference having Jose Reyes, uh, a healthy Melky Cabrera, 
uh, and Gianna Navarro in place of J.P. Aaron Seabee in the lineup yeah, makes. Yeah. And I think that they can improve in all those areas, to be honest with you. I mean, uh, the BABIP number, if the Blue Jays become, I don't want to say less pull-happy, but if they do follow through with what Kevin Seitzer is preaching, and, and that's more of a, a, an approach where you focus on the middle of the field and you know when opportunity arises, you pull or go the opposite way, but you, in theory you should be able to make you know more hard contact if you are focused on the middle of the field. I mean, if that, if that takes, if that works, then, then all this offense should start raising that BABIP a little bit and and doing a be- and, and getting better results on that front. Now, in terms of hitting with with runners on base, I mean that's something that some of their uh, all or nothing approach last year at times uh can can improve as well. You know, this was this is a team that's for years lived and died by by the home run and they have a lot of guys who pride themselves on their ability to hit home runs. But as manager John Gibbons is fond of saying, and it's very true, you know there are cheap RBIs to be had by going the other way at times. So if if the Blue Jays have a little bit of a shift in approach there, uh, this could be a much more dynamic offense uh, than it's been, and that's what really they've been striving for to to not be uh, more or less a one-trick pony where you know let's get guys on and hope you hit the long ball yeah. um and and that would certainly make a big difference in the american league east because they're going to face some tough pitching and you can't always get the the big home run uh off uh, off the off the top pitcher sometimes you have to grind out and scrape out a run or two to make the difference and maybe if they if they can if they can end up doing that improving those areas it will certainly help them get get over the hump in that regard Edwin Encarnacion had a breakout year back in 2012. He went from being an above-average hitter to one of the best in the league. He started walking more, and his power became elite, top of the league. Uh, Last year, things got really interesting as he dropped his strikeout rate to 10%, going from being good for a power hitter to the eighth best among all qualified players. He faced 13% fewer two-strike counts and struck out 22% less often when he had two strikes. That combination of power and contact is really rare. Since 1950, only Albert Pujols and Barry Bonds have posted seasons with better strikeout and home run rates when compared to league average and adjusted for sample size. How has Encarnacion developed his unique skill set, and can he repeat those numbers this year? Well, repeating them will be certainly a challenge, but the thinking is that with more guys around him in the lineup, you know, you have to remember that he hit for a significant portion of the season without Jose Batista behind him mm-hmm. or Jose Reyes in front of him. And and that would certainly, you know, create more favorable hitting opportunities for him if that continues to, or if that plays out as planned this year. But the, the transition for him is actually fairly interesting because, you know, it wasn't that long ago, it was the 2011 season, that people were crying for his release, and it was uh, into June, I think, he didn't hit his first home run of the season, and he looked just completely lost. Yeah. And he ended up having a conversation with Alex Anthopoulos, the general manager, who said to him, you know, what what did you do that season in Cincinnati when you hit uh, 20-something home runs? can't remember the exact number right now. And... Um, and Encarnacion was like, well, you know, it was maybe I walked a little bit more, and, and Alex showed him the numbers, and he had the career-high walks that season. Yeah. And what had happened is that because he's so good at making contact, 
is that he was able to put the bat on the ball on a lot of pitches, but a lot of the pitches are ones you wouldn't necessarily be wanting to, to swing at exactly. because yeah. they're hitter, pitcher's pitches. And so that ended up leading him to become more patient, and he started becoming more selective. And then as the season evolved, he started putting up better numbers, and then he had the breakthrough, and then he had the repeat. And he's just fine-tuned and fine-tuned and fine-tuned his approach over that period. And, you know, there have been tweaks to the swing and things like that. But the pitch selection is the key. And once a hitter gets that, I mean, he's always had that discipline, but he's really learned how to put it into effect. And once a hitter is able to do that, you know, that's usually not something that, that disappears, that, that ability to identify the, the best pitches to hit. So, uh, I mean, can he repeat those exact numbers? I, I don't know, but I think you're going to see the same quality of at-bat, and if you see the same quality of at-bat, you certainly get the opportunity to put up those kind of numbers. It's interesting to hear about that discussion because when you look at, the, at his plate discipline numbers, he's, not, he's been swinging at less pitches out of the zone, but he's also been swinging at a lot fewer pitches that are inside the zone. So it appears that he's been taking pitches that are good pitchers' pitches that may be called strikes, but um, if he had swung at them, he would be less likely to be able to hit, hit them hard. Right. And, you know, I mean, it's all, you know, there, there are times where, you know, there, there are pitches that, you know, a guy can handle, and maybe it's, you know, a bit out of the zone if you're looking for, for something in a certain spot. You know, maybe it bleeds out of the zone, but if that's where, where you're searching, you know, that's still the, a type of pitch that you can make contact with. And it's all about knowing what you can get the barrel to. And that's where, you know, his progress seems to have come. And then, you know, he, he's tightened up his swing. He went from a, a one-handed finish to a two-handed finish that's made him a bit more compact and quick through the ball. And little adjustments like that help him get to get to his zone. So, I mean, for, for a hitter, it's all about knowing, you know, where your areas of opportunity are. And, and, and he seems to have figured that out, and that's really what's made the difference for him. In July of 2012, they signed him to a three-year, $27 million extension with the club option for a fourth year at $10 million. How good does that deal look now? Well, you know, I mean, they, they, they went into you know, the season with him as a looming free agent, uh, and they weren't sure which way things were going to go with him. And, you know, the, they, they saw the big first half and they thought, okay, well, we know that it's time to, to give him this contract. Uh, we, we better see if we can figure it out right now. And it was, you know, a risk on the Blue Jays' part because they were, they were giving them some of that money based on, on half a good season. And, and it was a risk mm-hmm. on, on his part because he could have taken those numbers, could have taken that, those full season in the free agency and probably done a little bit better. But I think at this point, both, both, uh, both sides are happy. You know, Edwin got the opportunity to take care of his family for for an extended period, and and the Blue Jays got him for, really, if you look at it, far below what what the market would have paid him. So, uh, the Blue Jays are definitely happy about it, and and I think Encarnacion is too. Colby Rasmus finally repeated his great 2010 season. He was hitting the ball hard, playing good defense in center field. However, he'll be a free agent next winter, and the Jays have Anthony Goes waiting in the wings. Goes hasn't shown much in two short stints in the major leagues, but it appears he's part of their long-term plans. Will the Jays keep Rasmus in center the whole season? Could he maybe become trade bait if he's playing well and the Jays are not in contention? Uh, if the if the Jays do fall out of contention, uh, they cer- they certainly have to begin to entertain 
the thought of moving not only him but also some of their other pieces who who have expiring contact contracts because you know i mean it's it's one thing to to give a team a second chance but i don't know that you can necessarily give them a third chance and so i think if yeah. if this club fails this year you have to strongly consider altering the core now the question at that point becomes do you get a better deal for colby rasmus before the trade deadline uh, that would tempt you away from just letting him become a free agent and you take the compensatory pick should he sign with someone else. That's mm-hmm. that, that will depend. I think that's what determines the factor of whether he gets dealt or not. But uh, if the Blue Jays are in it or at least have a reasonable shot, I, I don't see why you move them. You know, they have the protection of the compensatory pick. You know, they have the opportunity to re-sign him if, he ha- if he's having a good season. And, you know, one thing that the Blue Jays have to consider is that Jose Batista aside, you know, they don't have any any starting outfielders under contractual control beyond this season. You know, Melky Cabrera is headed for free agency as well, and you mentioned Anthony Ghost. While he has a world of talent and, and really tremendous speed and uh, plus defense in center field, the the jury's still out on whether the bat's going to play. And I don't know that the Blue Jays are necessarily willing to take the chance that, you know, he ends up a 220 hitter with uh, 150-plus strikeouts as their as their future in center field. So, you know, there are a lot of different considerations that are going to be at play there, but until the, the season plays out and you, know, you get to the, the point where the end of June, late, early July, you start making a real determination about which direction you're headed in, I don't think we're going to have any idea which route they're going to go. When Toronto traded for Jose Reyes in November of 2010, they knew they were getting an injury-prone player. Unfortunately, Reyes' health did not hold up long as he made his third career trip to the 60-day DL, spraining his ankle on a stolen base attempt on April 12th. When he returned, he was around his career norms at the plate, but he was unable to provide the same type of value on the basis that he has in the past. What did the Jays think about having him under contract for $86 million over the next four years? Well, I think one the, the the injury that he suffered was was a freak thing. It wasn't one yeah. of those wear and tear cumulative types of injuries where you really start to worry about. It was, you know, a broken play where Jose Reyes thought Melky Cabrera had taken strike three, hadn't soft throw was coming, and had to end up making a slide to avoid overrunning the base. And it was you know a collection of of unfortunate coincidences that led to a freak injury. So if it was, you know, another another instance with his hamstrings or something of that nature, something yeah. that had dogged him throughout his career, then maybe you say, oh, uh-oh, I don't know how this is going to play. Now, the other thing to keep in mind is that I don't know that he necessarily rushed back, but he was definitely pushing the boundaries of, of how of his recovery to get uh, to return as quickly as possible. And if you remember, he ended up returning just when the Blue Jays had finished that 11-game win streak that had sort of erased their really poor start and had mm-hmm. put them back into contention, or semi-contention in the American League East. And there was a, a lot of anticipation and the, the, the thought that Jose Reyes would return, give the team a big boost, certainly was going to be a lot better than Munonori Kawasaki, bless his heart, for how well he played, given his talents. But you know, the, there was a lot of incentive for him to come back early. So I don't know that we we necessarily saw the, the Jose Reyes 
that we're going to see this season. He's had a full off season of of rest and rehab and, and exercise for that ankle. He hasn't had the pressure of base running and things of that nature when he was running the bases last year. And even at times in the field when he had to move to uh, to his left up the middle, he wasn't. Uh, you could tell that he was in a bit of discomfort. And he talked about that, that he would feel it, and that he didn't have the same acceleration. Those things all seem to be there this spring. And, uh, you know, unless he suffers another freak injury, uh, I think the Blue Jays feel very confident that they're going to start getting the, the type of value that they envisioned from him. And, and really, he's a big part of their plans because the amount of offense that he's going to provide them at shortstop gives them a bit of flexibility to take less offense at second base, which is one reason why they think mm-hmm. they can carry Ryan Gomes. Really, re- it's really remarkable looking at his triple stats. That he had, in his seven previous full seasons, he had had at least ten triples, and last year he had zero. Yeah, that's a, and that's a sore point for him. He, he noted that uh, during uh, one, in one of his first conversations with us this spring, and you know that was a product in a lot of ways of not just not having that same acceleration around the bases. Right? It was, you know, on turns. Yeah when you know, or on those sudden cuts that you need to make when you're rounding the bases that he really felt the ankle and kept him from hitting his top speed so he he, he it's certainly something that's on his mind and something that he's going to be paying attention to and i think when he gets that first triple this season uh, it'll be a bit of a relief for him so seven of the top 10 guys on baseball prospectus is blue jays prospect list um, seven of them are pitchers. Marcus Stroman and Sean, Sean Nolan are the only ones who are, who are expected to contribute to the rotation this year. The other five guys have later uh, ETAs. Do the Jays believe that they have a good core of uh, young starters for the future? Well, they, they hope they do, but until they get to the big league level, they, they don't really know. And one, one thing that they'd like to have is, is volume of arms because that way you get it's essentially you have more lottery tickets. So, I mean, the Blue Jays are, are very excited about quite a few of their arms. Obviously, Marcus Strom is making an impact. Aaron Sanchez, who has an outside shot at, at breaking through this season, depending on, mm-hmm. on who you talk to with the team. I mean, there are some people who want to hold him back and take their time with him, and there's others who wouldn't mind giving him a little bit of a push just because of, the potential dominant arm that he could be. I mean, he's a, he's an easy 98, and you don't find that very often. Um, but, you know, if ultimately whether or not they're going to contend for the years to come is going to depend on on the emergence of the young pitchers. They're going to need Marcus Stroman. They're going to need Sean Nolan. They're going to need uh, Drew Hutchison and Kyle Drabeck, who, you know, really are, are kind of young pitchers too because, they were just on the cusp uh, of, you know, emerging as re- as legitimate big leaguers when Tommy John surgery cut short their uh, their progress, and and you know the the year plus that they've lost is uh, is just kind of suspended them in time a little bit. So I think in a sense you almost have to include them in that list. But if they're going to end up competing with the Rays and those guys, they have to start converting on that internal potential because otherwise they're going to have a lot of trouble getting the the impact starter that they need and you know that was evident this off season and evident in the high price they had to pay to get Josh Johnson and Mark Burley and Ari Dickey last year and in the the price that it's costing teams to sign not only the mediocre guys but re-sign the elite guys i mean look at the contract of 
Clayton Kershaw and you know the educated uh, roll of the dice on Masahiro Tanaka. I mean, those are big dollars for potential impact arms. And if the Blue Jays aren't going to spend that kind of money, and it's very difficult for them to do it for a bunch of reasons, they're going to have to close that gap and develop those arms internally. Yeah, it's going to be tough. He's, uh, more recently, Homer Bailey signing for over $100 million before he even reached free agency. That guy's, got guys signing those extensions. As those extensions start to catch up to the market market rate for free agents, um, it's going to be make make teams have to rely on developing arms even more. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the Blue Jays aren't necessarily a prime destination for free agents either. I mean, yeah. you know, aside from the fact that some players are reluctant to come to Canada because it's a, you know, quote-unquote a foreign country, even though it's not that different and, and things of that nature. Um, you know, this is also a team that hasn't won in, you know, two decades. And uh, it's a tough sell to to come not only to a foreign country, but to a team that doesn't have a tradition of winning in the American League East. You know, pitchers aren't necessarily inclined to sign with American League East clubs. So, I mean, they have a they have a host of challenges on that front. So if they don't develop those guys and they don't hit on those guys, they're going to be in some big trouble. So my last question, question is a question I've asked a few other uh, beat writers. Uh, so what, did the, what will the Jays organization consider a successful season for them this year? Really, it, it needs to probably be a, a trip to the playoffs. I mean, yeah. You know, as much as uh, I, the fan base has lowered expectations, and I think, you know, as much as they were the darlings of baseball last year, in a lot of ways, people just look at them as the automatic fifth place team in the American League East, especially in light of the moves the Orioles are making now. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, for them, if based on the, the financial commitment that they've made, they're going to be in the neighborhood of $135 million uh, uh, for opening day. Wow. The the buildup uh, that they had last year, you know, that that was the opening of a window that was supposed to last, you know, three, four years. So if if they don't start making good on that window, especially in light of last season, uh, there's probably going to have to be a change in direction and, um and and that's why, for in a lot of ways, this is a put up or shut up season for the Blue Jays. I mean, they they said this was the group that they believe in, and then they didn't make a lot of changes to it in the off season. So if it doesn't succeed, then that's on them. Well, that definitely sounds like a good summary. Uh, thanks a lot for coming on the show. It was great talking to you. My pleasure. That was Shai Davidi of Sportsnet. You can read Shai's articles at sportsnet.ca/baseball. Or follow him on Twitter at Shai Davidi. Tomorrow I'll be talking to Andy McCullough of the Kansas City Star.